Hi there, my name is Ben Eaton, and welcome to the Performing Musicians Podcast. In this podcast, I'll be chatting to a broad range of musicians, artists, songwriters about their experience in the music industry. We'll be talking about their dreams, their background, their career highlights, and a range of other topics relating to making a living inside this tough cutthroat industry. We'll also be discussing the current COVID-19 crisis and how it affects their income, their goals, their dreams, and what they think might happen next to them and the industry they love. Without further ado, let's get into it. Hi, guys, and welcome to another edition of the Performing Musicians podcast. Um, today, we're going to have a chat with the lovely Grace Walker, um, vocalist extraordinaire and uh, person that I've uh, worked with occasionally over the last couple of years. Hi, Grace. How are you? Hi, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm good. Thank you. Holding up. Yeah. Everybody, everybody well? You're okay? You, you look like you've yeah. got a bit of sun streaming in through the window behind you. That's pretty yeah, nice. It's, yeah, it's been nice. Been sitting out in the garden and all of that. It's actually been quite, yeah, it's been quite nice to be home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, lovely. All right, so just to kick us off, can you tell me about yourself? What do you do and how long have you been a performer? Yeah, so um, I'm a full-time freelance singer, which I've just said since as, as of August because I was just doing it part-time before then. So yeah. Um, very happy then that I was going full time, maybe not so much now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do a lot of events and um, I work with a few different show bands. We do luxury events. Um, I do some session work from home. And yeah, that's pretty much it. That's pretty much the two things that I do and have been doing a bit less of now. <laughs> yeah, right. And so when you said you had, you said you were doing some teaching, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a teaching assistant at a school in Fulham for three, four years, actually, um, oh, wow. which I really, really enjoyed. But obviously the hours weren't very good with the gigs that I was doing as well. So I gave that up in August to go full time. Um, yeah, and it was all going very well up until <laughs> March. March, yeah. <laughs> yeah. March was the, was the month. <laughs> and where are you from originally? Uh, Southwest London. So I grew up in Kingston, um, yeah, and lived there always. I've, I've moved over to southeast in the past four years. So, yeah, I haven't moved I, far. <laughs> I'm still, uh, I'm still always struck by just the, the the localness of London. Like you can be, yeah, you can be a southwesterner, southeasterner. Like a, a, yeah. North London people very rarely go south of the river. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. hilarious. It's yeah, hilarious. North London to me. is like the place that you don't go. <laughs> well, that's where I live. I live in <laughs> if North you're London. From the south. Yeah. <laughs> It's, there must be there must be something in the water right now. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and so you're you're a born and bred South Londoner. Yeah, yeah, but without awesome. the accent, I'm told. I'd, yeah, well, I'm not even sure what the South London accent is. Yeah, I think it changes every mile. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, and so just bef- like before the current situation, obviously we're in the in the middle of the coronavirus um, lockdown system. Um, What sort of inspired you to first become uh, a singer? Well, I I guess I just kind of grew up around singers. Um, My dad uh, collects a lot of vinyl records. He's got thousands and thousands in the living room and has quite a lot of friends through uh, a website that he runs called Soul Walking, and he reviews a lot of music on that. So he was always in contact with singers and performers, and every now and then when we drop around the house or something, yeah, and he was very much in the in the music scene from when he was quite a lot younger. Yeah, so I just uh, kind of was brought up around it and I just really enjoyed singing. And I guess when I was young, I was like, cool, I can kind of do this. I'm going to make a job out of it without really thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Did you, do, did you do any college or anything or any formal education? Yeah, so I went to, I mean, the high school that I went to, I was really lucky. The music department there, it, it wasn't a very well-funded school, but I had some great teachers that were very good um, putting on amateur productions and things like that. I had a great teacher called Miss Neville who kind of took me through schooling. And then I went straight to LCCM for university after staying at college at that same school. And I did a music performance and production degree, uh, yeah, quite a while ago now, actually. It's a bit scary. But yeah, I went to LCCM, which was a great school. Um, 
and yeah, I absolutely loved it. Met loads of friends, got loads of work out of that. So it was a good move. And that, so you got work out of that. So that was, that was a really a, yeah. a, a top yeah. move. Yeah. I mean, I feel like if you go to music school, you're there to learn music, obviously, but the biggest thing you come out with is the contacts and networking and meeting people. I think that's, that was the biggest um, thing that I got out of university. Awesome. And so what, what would you say, like musically, you mentioned your father ran soul, was it soul tracks? Soul walking. Soul yeah. walking. Yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah. So <laughs> what would you say is your big, biggest musical influence? Oh, I don't know. Um, when I was younger, I'd probably say Stevie Wonder, literally any album. Um, kind of as I get a bit older, I'd maybe lean towards Marvin Gaye or Donny Hathaway, but those three are like my holy trinity of singers. <laughs> so ma male vocalist. Yeah, yeah, which is strange, but I just really like male vocalists. I, there are, Obviously, there are a lot of female vocalists that I really, really like, but I just always kind of gravitate towards those guys mainly. So Donny Hathaway, can you tell me a little bit more about him? Yeah, so he was a singer keys player just wrote really beautiful songs to be honest with you and his daughter's a singer as well Layla Hathaway I don't know if you've you've probably heard of her but yeah um yeah he's written some really iconic singer songs as I call them most singers will have a go at a few of his tunes at some point in their career yeah <laughs> right. on Instagram <laughs> <laughs> so I, I assume they're belters are they now though yeah yeah really really gorgeous tunes and like technically quite challenging tunes to sing so with, with your father, quote unquote, in the biz, was your family supportive of your decision of music as a career or was it something you had to yeah, fight for a little bit? They were just happy for me to do anything musical, really. Um, I was very lucky. They kind of, I didn't have, have many music lessons per se. I had some piano lessons as I got into my mid-teens and stuff like that. But I think they were just happy that I was interested in it as much as they were, which was nice. Awesome. So there'd be some good sing-alongs at home, I'd imagine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so can you remember your first gig? Like what, what was your, your first? Oh, gosh. You can yeah, either, I can you can remember either talk really about... clearly. I can okay. remember very clearly my first gig because I was dressed as a rat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I did a, like a kid's production. I can't even remember what the play was called now, but my mum had sewn me a rat costume and I had to sing. It was my first kind of singing a song in front of any crowd and I don't think my mum had taken me seriously when I said no no I, I like to sing I'm good at singing when I was little she was like yeah yeah cool whatever and then she let me be in this play and she came to watch me sing in my rat costume and she was like oh actually she's quite she's all right I didn't think she'd be that good <laughs> so, so how old were you there 10 10 yeah <laughs> that's cool and do you, do, you yeah. remember the, do you remember the name of the production no I can't remember what it was called but it was, it was a production of Rats and we were all singing songs. I don't even remember what the story was. I maybe just was, remember singing my song in a village hall. <laughs> maybe it was like a satire of cats or something. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> I never even thought of that. It probably was actually. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. Um, yeah. So can you maybe um, discuss for us maybe like a, a career highlight? It doesn't have to be sort of, mm. you know, necessarily Wembley Stadium or the Royal Albert Hall. It could be, it could yeah. be one of those, but like something that really sticks out for you is like that, that is like something I can hang my hat on. Um, gosh, I think so far that, that, I mean, there was a lot of things that I was going to do this year that I was really looking forward to, but, um, I'd say definitely last year we managed to get, so, so I sing with the London garage orchestra. Um, and we got the headline slot in Shangri-La on the truth stage, which is called now. It wasn't always called that. Um, but we got their midnight slot on the Saturday. Wow, um, which was just brilliant. It was amazing. And it was, the, it was, I think it was the second gig we'd done all together. So it was a bit nerve wracking. Um, but we were called to go on and I don't know if you've been to Glasgow and you know how the Shangri-La area works, no. but it's like the party after hours sort of thing. So the yeah. main, the pyramid stage will kind of close off at like 11, half 11 and it takes everyone an hour to walk down from there to like the party district that's the naughty corner they call it where everyone stays up and parties <laughs> so we kind of were about to go on stage and I was like oh my gosh there's no one there it was just a big huge field with, with no one in it and I thought oh god this is going to be really painful it's going to be absolutely terrible 
And we started playing and literally just flocks of people started to fill the, the, the field. And I think we played to maybe, I don't know, seven, 7,000, maybe more people. Wow. And it was just UK garage classics. It was brilliant, which is what That's I love to see awesome. anyway. So, so yeah, it was great. So the, the, the London Garage Orchestra, is, it's like an eight-piece band, nine-piece band, is it? I think more. I think there's 13 or 14 of us. Good Lord. I think, because it's, we say orchestra, it's a three-piece string section, three-piece horns, and then full band, and two singers, two MCs. That's a lot of egos, man. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> Holy macaroni. And you've been with them for a little while now. Yeah, so we started... Uh, February last year, we did our first kind of festival um, in London, and and yeah, then within within that time you within the time you already played at Glasgow. Yeah, it was great. Holy crap! That's yeah, we, we, we did we did quite a few festivals last year. We did uh, Glasgow, Boomtown, Lovebox, and oh my gosh, we did another one as well. I can't remember. But this year we were we were planned to do festival this year, which obviously isn't going to come off. Which I'm a bit sad about because I've never been to festival, but yeah, fingers crossed next year. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we've just yesterday we had the announcement from Boris about the easing of the restrictions. So yeah, well, I'm not not quite sure how I feel about that, but I, I'm terrified. Yeah, a little bit terrified. Anyway, let, we'll we'll get to that. Um, yeah. So before the current situation, can you walk us through like a week in the life of Grace? What you would normally do? Yeah. Gig-wise, yeah. life-wise, what, what, what's your sort of weekly routine? Sure. So actually, I'd just kind of gotten into my weekly routine January of this year. I'd kind of put my foot on what I was going to be doing. So I work very closely with a good friend of mine who runs a show band called LDN. Or he runs a, a company called L LDN Entertainment, and they have show band, a jazz band for luxury events and things like that. So I took on some admin work for him. So we were kind of, we both signed up to our local David Lloyd's, which is my favorite thing ever. <laughs> and we'd go and sit in the cafe and do a whole load of admin and then work out and go to the spa or whatever. That, that was brilliant. So my kind of average day, if I wasn't gigging, would be go to the cafe, do a whole load of admin, go to the gym, go and sit in a jacuzzi for an hour or so. <laughs> it was perfect. Sounds awesome. Um, yeah, it was, it was awesome. And then uh, on gig days, I'd probably wake up go over whatever I was meant to be singing that night get doled up and leave the house um and that will probably be three or four nights a week I guess and, and maybe a couple of afternoons I'd have afternoon things on and so that was yeah. mostly mostly function work was it was it sort of private yeah mostly parties, mostly function work yeah a, a lot of private parties some um members clubs in the center of London they like having live music there um just a mixture of things really maybe a couple of cocktail bars which were always quite fun um and yeah a real mix of acoustic gigs and full band gigs up to 11 or 12 piece that's awesome yeah so yeah so it, it basically just a mix of gigs admin gym i guess <laughs> live it live in the life living the dream yeah i thought i had it so good <laughs> yeah well um and so with that sort of stuff what would you say is your sort of your your favorite type of venue or gig to play? What's the sort of one that you sort of you, you look in the calendar and you go, "Oh, this would be good." Mm, I think anywhere. I don't think the place so much makes the gig. I think it just it really depends on the audience. And um, if I knew I was going to like what I was singing, I, I enjoy most gigs singing anything. But some gigs I enjoy way more than others because of the material that I'd be singing. So I'd always look forward to those. And then if I show up and the audience is really good, then that's great. I'll have a great time and two hours will fly by like that. So you mentioned garage is kind of your favorite genre to sing. Is that right? Yeah. At the moment, it's kind of turned out like that. I, I don't know if you were tuned in when UK Garage came around first time. No. Probs not. <laughs> no, I was in Australia. So yeah, that's why that's why I'm saying it didn't really yeah. reach out of the UK at all. Whenever you no. say it to any Aussies or Americans, they're like, what? In What's in the garage, garage. That's where I keep my car. <laughs> yeah. Or <laughs> well, they think you're like a punk rock band. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Something yeah. like that. Garage band. Um, yeah. But uh, now I used to listen to a bit of UK Garage when I was like at school, when I was like a young teenager. I think, yeah, this is really cool. It's like soul vocals over like modern house kind of two-step tracks, 
I thought, yeah, this is great. I really loved it. And then I kind of moved on to other things and did the whole music school, neo soul thing that a lot of people do. Um, recently it's had a bit of UK garage has had a bit of a revival and I thought, Oh yeah, I really like all these tunes. And it's kind of worked out really well that, um, they wanted me to sing for them. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I had some, when I first very, like the, one of the very first things that ever happened when I came to the country was I had a meeting with Shola Armour. Oh yeah. 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 It's yeah. She's bit, brilliant. Yeah we, we, yeah. we got signed up. We started rehearsals to be in her touring band and then something happened and all the plans changed and I just right. I never was, yeah, I, I was like, oh yeah, I'll do that. And then That's I realized. That's really interesting. Cause I, I did, realized you're I kind did, of a big um, deal. Yeah. She's brilliant. I did a BB's gig for her last year. Oh, cool. Um, but yeah, she's, she's brilliant. She's got a, like crazy voice. She's wicked. Yeah. And really like so nice to work with. Yeah, she she seemed like a very lovely lady. Actually, she brought her son to the meeting. It was wicked. Yeah, yeah. Um, so no need like no need to talk about specific venues or names or anything. But what's sort of your least favorite gig? What do you sort of look at? Ugh. Ooh, hmm. I think anything where it, it's not very personal when you get there. Like I said, it's not really a place. It's not really. I, I couldn't name a place where I'm like, oh, I'm not going to enjoy that gig there. But I think it's when you turn up and maybe the audience isn't very receptive or they just don't care. Or th there are some venues in London where they don't, they know they want live music, but they don't really care when you show up. And, you know, it's hard to put into words, but there are a lot of places where you show up and you're like, oh God, they just, it would probably be better if I wasn't here. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to get, it's hard to get motivated when when people are more interested in their phones and listening to music. Yeah, it is. It is. And it and it's hard to put on a good show in a venue when they can't explain to you exactly what they want when you when you turn up and they've hired something and you're like, "I know you've hired me to do this, but I actually feel like you don't know what you want." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or when you're stuck in a corner and there's no there's no context for you and people just don't even know you're there yeah. sometimes. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So obviously you enjoy performing in London. Um, in your time performing in London, how would mm -hmm. you say, like before the, the coronavirus, how would you say the scene has changed? Well, what's your sort of take on that? I think the biggest thing is that I've been doing these gigs for, I don't know, like, to, to be fair, I've been doing gigs in public venues for maybe six years and in that time, I've not really seen a lot of the the fees and the, the amount that the venues are paying increase along with inflation. A lot of venues are paying the same as they were six years ago or trying to cut and pay less. So I think the biggest thing I found, I, I don't think the demand's decreased. I just think the amount that people are willing to pay for the service has definitely decreased. They're kind of always trying to make cuts here and there. Like, oh, if you play five minutes less, can I pay you £30 less and things like that, mm. which happens all too frequently, I think. Um, yeah, and I feel like it, that's something which should be increasing along with every other job. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it would be nice to – I mean, there is a union here, and I'm, I am a member of yeah. the union, actually. But mm. it would be nice if the union did a bit more than just provide public liability cover. Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm a member of the MU, and and I have found them amazing at certain things, but when you actually look at the breakdown of what minimum wage is or what you how what you should be reasonably working for, it's not particularly reflective of how much you need to survive in London. Maybe if you were living outside of London, your your living costs were lower, then that's enough. But as far as I'm concerned, the rates that they suggest aren't enough to live off in a city. No. no, not not in a city like London. It's just yeah. the rents and the, the mortgages are just insane. Yeah, yeah, just ridiculous. Well, I guess that's a sort of the same thing. It's like in New York and places like that, you, you want to go to that city because of the culture, but the, the people that yeah. go to that city, they pour in so much money that nobody can yeah. afford to actually live in the city. Yeah. Well, we, we were saying this the other day, a, a couple of friends and I were all saying that when you live in London, it's an investment in your career because you, you end up doing jobs that you, you couldn't do if you didn't live in the city and if you didn't live yeah. here where everything's happening. But then that is an investment and you, you will be living on less because you get 
slightly more attractive opportunities, I guess. That's a, that's a very well balanced way to think of it, actually. Yeah, yeah. That's a very good good way to think about it. Actually, that's very positive. I hadn't thought about yeah. it like that. That's a that's a good way to think about it. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I moved to the city from another country, so yeah. to move to move here presents opportunities that you would never get in my country or my home city. Yeah. So you know, you you pay more Absolutely. for the rent, but you also get to do cooler stuff. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. <clears throat> yeah. Um. Okay. So. Now onto the more serious stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, with all the gigs and everything drying up, um, can you talk a little bit about how this affected you, how that's affected your income and your living situation? Yeah, sure. So um, I had, I think up until the end of the year, I had my year pretty much booked up gig-wise, with not enough to to pay rent and live by, but I had all my Saturdays kind of fixed up. And you know how it goes, you'd get midweek gigs roll in and then, you know, that would that would amount up. You'd get a few offers maybe a month before they happened and then that's your calendar full. Um, so when, uh, when everything started to kick off, I did my last gig the Saturday before lockdown was announced. And there was, it was just a weird vibe. It was a, a fancy bar in Soho. And I just remember standing on the stage and thinking, oh God, this is, this is really weird. Like there's a lot of very drunk people very close together and kind of dancing and sweaty. And I was just on the stage, on the stage thinking, oh, this is, I'm not very comfortable here whatsoever. Yeah. So I kind of immediately said, right, for the next two weeks, I'm not doing any more gigs. And I phoned around and said, I, I'm not, I, I'm not comfortable doing this gig that was kind of it for me. I was, people were trying to take the microphone out of my hands and high five me on stage. And I was like, I can't, can't do this. So yeah, immediately I canceled two weeks worth of gigs and thought, you know what, I'll take the hit financially and just keep safe. And then, um, lockdown was announced and I thought, okay, I I thought in my head, I reckon this is going to be about three months of no gigs. That was kind of my guesstimate as to what, was going to happen. So I was a bit worried about money. Um, I started applying to like help musicians in the MU who had funds um, and got a little bit of money from them to keep me um, tied over. And then, yeah, it was just waiting. There was that time. I don't know if you, well, you obviously remember, but there was that time when we were waiting for self-employed help from the government. Oh yeah. And um, I was really just so stressed out waiting for that. And then that came and I wasn't eligible for that. So I thought, oh, geez, like I'm not going to have any money for months. And luckily, um, when Universal Credit came through, it was a lot more than I actually thought it was going to be. There were were a lot of people saying it was 300 and something pounds, whatever. It's turned out to be just enough to live on. And I will probably run a couple of hundred pounds into debt, you know, every month this carries on because it's just a little bit under my means. But um, yeah, other than that, all of my work has gone and it's been a real struggle to, to, to kind of get money to pay my rent. We didn't really have any help in terms of rent Um, with our landlord. um, Yeah. He's let us pay a slightly, smaller amount of our rent but that will eventually have to be paid back um so yeah it's it's been financially really tough and in terms of gigs i don't have at this point i don't have any gigs in the calendar anymore for this whole year (laughs) oh my god they've all been postponed yeah well it's yeah it's that's a very i mean i've just i actually had today i had an inquiry for a function in december that was the yeah which which seems Doable, I guess. We that's say f- now, but you never know, do you? Well, it's the first new inquiry I've had in three months. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, I mean, I don't know whether that was from the announcement that was made yesterday, whether people mm-hmm. have gone, oh, well, you know, now things are starting to open, we can plan. I've got a couple that have been sort of deferred to later in the year. Yeah. Like late, like September, October, November. Mm. But who knows? Yeah. I mean... Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know when we're going to be able to gig again. That's, that's the biggest thing on my mind right now is I don't have anything booked in and I'm 
my realistic guess is January because we don't really have any answers to anything just yet, do we? So, no, well, Boris, Boris hasn't been terribly helpful on that front. No. <laughs> um, so in that case, have you been looking around for different sources of income or you just sort of, obviously with the up until basically this week, it's been basically yeah. directed to stay home. Have you just been sort of hunkering down and just sort of yeah, seeing how well, things go? I, I would have, you know, to be honest with you, I would have gone to go and get a job in a supermarket or anywhere. Like I'd happily have gone, I would have happily have done that, but I am health-wise I'm high risk so I had the text at the beginning of all of this saying don't leave the house for 12 weeks which was basically you can't go and get a job wow <laughs> so yeah it, it's been I mean I would rather go out and work anywhere than sit at home and not do much so instead I've just been at home recording videos and doing some remote recording for people and just picking up little things as they come in yeah, right. Yeah, that's basically been it. And so with that like um did you have a did you have a space set up in your house for that or did you have to did you have to get something organized or No, so I I've, I've had to order some I've had to do an Anderton's order product oh, placement, sorry. Yeah. Um I've had to I've had to do a, I've had to do an order with an unnamed music website. <laughs> um and <laughs> the offers nine months zero percent finance. Um, really? <laughs> yeah, it's great. So I ordered um a mic and an interface and stuff, yeah, just so I could do some recordings so I don't drive myself crazy basically. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. And did you have problems with the deliveries? Because I know I've been trying to get like we, we ordered a computer for for just to get, you know, to exist yeah. in a house because yeah. I've got kids. So um yeah. it took like six weeks for a computer to come Jeez, yeah no it hasn't it, i mean i think delivery times have just kind of doubled i think yeah pretty much as a general rule like um i'm still waiting on a couple of things to turn up but yeah i i think just add a few extra days onto everything seems to be the general rule and so how has it affected when you say you've been doing more videos and whatnot how has this situation affected your creativity what are you finding about the situation that's helpful and, and harmful um, I think, you know, that kind of age old thing where you're like, Oh, all of the things that I would do, if I just had the time, it feels like that. It feels like I had all of these things that I wanted to do. And now I have all of the time. I kind of don't know what to do with myself. And it's, it's a big toss up between being in a bit of a rubbish state of mind. Cause you're a bit stressed about how to pay the bills and, and everything. And that's not particularly conducive to writing a song or, um, doing something creative and interesting when a lot of the time I'm just kind of sat at home watching Netflix and thinking, oh, I should really, should really do that recording. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I feel, I feel like it's, it, it's gone completely the other way where I wasn't doing things because I didn't have the time and now I'm not doing things because it's so hard to get motivated now. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really tough mentally for a lot of people. Yeah, I think um, I think you're exactly right, and you're definitely not the first person I've spoken to that's voiced those those sort of thoughts. It's basically mm -hmm. that idea. It reminds me of I don't know. There's a really old TV show, The Twilight Zone. Yeah, it's like yeah. the the guy wants to. He, he's got all the time in the world to read the books, but his glasses are broken. Yeah, so he can't read yeah. the books. It's like it literally feels like that. You you can do it, but it's <laughs> like it's also. I mean, I'm always aware of like what you're actually producing as well, like. Hmm. If you're just, I mean, it's cool if you just like, I've, I've seen you do some collab videos and yeah. there's a lot of people I know that are doing like, you know, ro um, doing collab videos remotely and stuff. And they're really, mm -hmm. you know, they're really fun and exciting, but it's like as, as someone who, do, do you write your own music? Is this something, is this something you've done as a, as a performer? You, have you been writing anything or? Yeah. I mean, before lockdown, I had a few things on the go with different people doing little bits of top line writing. I don't really have my own stuff because the performing is what I love to do yeah um so yeah I was writing little bits here and there for fun but since lockdown I don't think I've done anything yeah. I think that whole creative being able to write a story and and sing it is just a bit much right now and a lot of the recording and stuff that I've been doing has been projects for other people or you know unpaid fun things that I wouldn't usually have the time to do if I was gigging and working yeah. Yeah. That low burning anxiety is sort of, it's not a great 
not a great creative sort of enabler, is it? No, it's not at all. And for someone that doesn't really write a lot anyway, like I I find it quite difficult to write a song anyway. Writing's not my strong point. I I think this situation is is not pushed me in the right direction. I'm not going to be writing any lockdown angst songs. (laughs) No, anytime soon. So just on that front, if if say this is this is sort of a this is a tough question. I guess if, if this sort of continues for a long time, if we're looking for, mm-hmm. you know, we're looking towards like a year or two years of this sort of yeah. situation, would you consider a career change? Yeah, I think I definitely would. Uh, even if it was temporary um, for a couple of years, I think I'd have to, I don't, I don't think I could not work for that long. I'm not particularly sure how long the government support's going to last. So it is in the back of my mind, Oh, you might have to do something else. Um, in which case I'd probably look at getting some sort of admin job within the performance sector where I could look at doing some admin for some bands or something like that, at least so I'm still working within that um, industry. Otherwise I'd get a little bit stir crazy, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough position. Also, you have to look after your health. So if you've been told you've got to watch, if you watch yourself, you can't really go Mm. and get a job at Tesco or something. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, if I can pick up admin from home, then I'd probably do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, because it's funny. A lot of a lot of people have said just straight away, nope, nope. Like I just won't ever change mm. what I do. And not a lot of people have said that actually look for something else. So it's quite it's quite mm. interesting the way people deal with it in different ways. I guess yeah. it's different different levels of sort of pragmatism is involved yeah but i also think it's 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 a mixture of how much you've not not downplaying what those other people have said but i think it's a mixture of accepting what's going on and i think when it really hits home to people that this might go on for a really long time and they're going to need to make some money to survive and pay the rent then i think people will just take a break and go and find a job and earn some money and then come back to it. I'm not saying abandon the the job completely, but I think if the time comes where people aren't being supported by the government anymore and they need to pay the rent, they will go and work and do something that isn't music related. Yeah. Well, I guess that's it, isn't it? You can, you can still be a, a creative person and have a day job. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, I, I did that for years. I was a, I was an electrician when I was younger, so yeah. Yes. I, uh, yeah. I remember I, you telling me. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I I used to go to go to work and work on construction sites and go and play hard rock and metal over night time. So yeah, but it depends what you enjoy as well. Like when I was working at the school, I really enjoyed working there. Yeah. And if I could have started at eleven a.m. every morning, then I probably would have stayed. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I'm yeah. Sh- I'm sure the parents wouldn't uh, wouldn't agree with you. <laughs> yeah. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> and what's your um, what's your take on um, the social media aspect of it? I know, I know. Mm. For me, the um, I, I know the first couple of weeks, I just disconnected from social media completely. Like I didn't, I didn't like. I knew it was bad, and I was reading mm. once a day. I'd read like the news about what was the what was happening, what was going to happen, and then I mm. just was like, nah, it's just too stressful. Like I don't want to see it. Yeah. And I've sort of I've reengaged with it now, and now I'm much more active. How, how how did it affect you with that sort of... Yeah, I think when everything kicked off, I was trying to read as many different articles as possible. Like when I go through my Facebook timeline, I will read anything, even if it seems, even if the headline's ridiculous, because I just want to see some different points of view, views about what's going on. So I think for the first two, three weeks, I was reading everything I could on Facebook, you know, articles. I was chatting to, to friends. I was DMing people that I know through Instagram that lived in different countries saying, Hey, what's it like for you over there? Cause this is how it's being reported here. What's going on. So I was trying to kind of build my own idea of everything that was going on. Um, and I think round about the time that they extended the lockdown. So was that three or four weeks ago? Yeah, I about think four weeks ago. I just stopped following everything and I just thought, you know what? I'm not going to read anything. I'm not going to watch the news. I'm not going to, put it on the TV. I'm not going to watch the daily update things. I just kind of stepped away from it all. And I've been reading books and doing other things that are a lot better for you than watching the news. (laughs) And do you find that's been helpful for you? Yeah, massively helpful because I, I kind of thought myself in, into like a, 
bad place watching the news all the time and looking at statistics every day and comparing news articles that weren't factual and some that supposedly were and I think it was just you kind of start to obsess over it a little bit I think and as long as you're kind of staying at home and doing all the things you're meant to be doing I don't particularly feel like it's that helpful to keep following it so closely and obsessing over it like I I don't know if you've noticed but if I go out for a run or if I go out for a walk most of the people that I go past if I hear parts of their conversations they're always talking about the virus it's all anyone's talking about at the moment and I feel like it's healthy to just take a step away from that now yeah absolutely I've been uh We've been going for the walks and just going, mm. and then you don't. You but you always find just the conversation coming back to it. Yeah, you do. It just gravitates to it. It's like the elephant in the room. Yeah, it, <laughs> that yeah. everyone just kind of talks about every five minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's def- uh, Yeah, I, I sort of, I, I, as I said, I disengage with it completely at the start, outside of just knowing the bare bones and what the situation was. But I, I think I'm going to do a bit more of what you're talking about. Actually, it's uh, yeah, it just makes you sad. Yeah, it does. And it makes you, it, it, it kind of gave me this anxiety, like, oh my gosh, this sounds horrendous. What if I catch it? What if this happens to me? And I'm like, you know what? I don't even need to think about that because, you know, it might never happen. <laughs> yeah. So you that, know? I mean, that goes to my next question about like the, the misinformation on, on the social mm. media. Like I see all the, like for me, it, it breaks my heart because, you know, I thought Australians were smarter than that, but we've got now... Yeah. We've got protests in Melbourne about the lockdown laws and saying it's Bill Gates yeah. should be locked up and all that sort of stuff. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of conspiracy theories going around, aren't there? And I, I, as much as I don't like to make my mind up over what's actually going on in the world, I think there's, there's a lot to concern yourself with that can stress you out. <laughs> yeah, there's there's um, actually there's actually real people doing horrible things that are documented yeah. plainly in the news all the time that you can get yeah. upset about. Not five yeah, exactly. G towers. Yeah. And I think when something so big is affecting your life and there's so little information and little answers about it, people have to rationalize it in a way that they understand. And unfortunately, a lot of that's turned to conspiracies and random things that don't make a lot of sense. Yeah. It worries me. Human beings are a strange bunch of things. Yeah. Um, So do you... Obviously, don't go into any detail, but are you sharing Mm -hmm. your creative space with anybody else? How has that affected you your mental health and your well-being as a creative person? Yeah, so at the moment I'm staying with my other half. I just thought, we just thought it'd be easier. There's a recording set up here. You know, it's been actually quite nice. We've just been able to crack on and get some projects done. We've done some really cool things for um, LDN Entertainment, the the company that I was telling you about that I work for. We're working on a few really cool split screen videos um, with like 15, 16 piece bands. So you know what, it's been really nice. And it's been nice to just have the facilities to do creative things where when I was staying at my own home, I felt like I was just kind of stagnating there. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's great. So he, he, actually staying with your partner who's also a creative person has given you like yeah. a bit of a kick up the yeah, ass yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, he is as well. Yeah, so it's been good for both of us, I think, to just not sit and watch Netflix all day. It's like, cool, what are we going to do today? <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> let's it. record a cover or let's do this. Or... That must be really nice, actually. Yeah, it's been lovely. It's been really good. And how is it being sort of separated from your, your family group? Yeah, I mean, it's only me, my mum and dad. So it's, it's only just, I've just been missing my mum and dad quite a lot because I go back there quite a lot. They live 40 minutes from my house. So I'd go back once a week, once every couple of weeks and stay there for a couple of nights. So um, I've missed them quite a lot, but I'm still very uncomfortable with going to stay with them just yet. Yeah. Um, they're both over 60 and I just think, you know what, I could be carrying it now and have no symptoms and go home to them and then can you imagine if anything happens so yeah it's to me it's just not worth going home um yeah i've just missed them really i think and the rest of my family live in cornwall so (laughs) oh cornwall what a great spot yeah Yeah. um so has that affected anybody in your family or friends directly that you know of no so i mentioned earlier i have a couple of friends who have been sick and i messaged them and said hey you okay do you need anything like what was it like basically and tried to gather um 
a bit of information that I know to be true. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> a lot of them have, have just said, you know what, it's, it's been okay. I felt terrible for a few days. And they've literally just said, you know what, just wash your hands when you go to the supermarket, wash all your food, wash your hands before you cook. Just make sure you're not eating with hands that aren't washed, basically. And that's all they've said. Um, I've unfortunately know a few friends whose parents have passed away. Oh, no. Um, but yeah, other than that, I, I don't feel very personally affected by it as much as I know some other people have been. Yeah. Well, I know a couple, I know a couple of people that have been through it and are recovering and one of mm. them just had a bit of a dry cough and yeah. a little bit of a temperature and yeah. the other one was really bad. Like yeah. she, she was, you know, thought she might not make it. And it's wow, yeah. And then she's, it's I think it's like five weeks now, and she's still having really bad days. Jeez, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's just such a. It's I feel like it's a lottery of what what you're gonna get, you know? Yeah. Well, she the one the one that was really badly affected. She does have, uh, I think it was asthma. Right. Yeah. So that's that's basically what they worry about, isn't it? Yeah. So it hits you really hard. But I mean, my my dad has asthma. My sister has asthma. My my mum had a heart attack like two years ago, so she's wow, on all, okay. she's on all sorts of medications and stuff. So yeah, it's a. I mean, everyone in, in my. I mean, Australia hasn't been hit very hard with this. Yeah, there's ninety ninety seven deaths, I think, in Australia. Wow. For the whole country, which is great. Yeah, that's amazing. I think well, there's not amazing, I, but that's compared to here. <laughs> yeah, well, I think they're even yeah. starting to talk about opening some pubs and things like that with limited people, mm-hmm. and which is both exciting and terrifying. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I just feel like if if the guidelines and the advice from the government is very clear, you know, and, and, and it's being policed, then that's fine. You just have to be smart about it, you know. it's. I feel like the guidance here has been so vague that, of course, people are doing it wrong. Yeah. But like, of course, they are. <laughs> so how do, you, how do you feel about the government's response in general? Um. I'm in two minds. I'm aware that it's obviously the most difficult job that any prime minister's had to deal with for a very long time. Um, but I just feel like the the guidance and the advice has been appalling. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if you watched the, the the speech yesterday about the different phases of reopening the country. Everything was... Um, Okay, well, it's okay to do this, but oh, but it, but maybe not. We just need to wait and see. And it's kind of that. It's not guidance if you're telling people that something's okay, but actually, it might not be. To me, that just feels like shirking responsibility. Yeah. Um, well, I was watching yeah, something. I was I'm watching very, something today. Um, yeah, go on, go on, I was watching something today. Basically, there's they're, that they're basically doing that in order for them to be able to not be liable down the road absolutely so they're getting pressure they're getting pressure from business groups saying come on come on come on open we've got to open Mm. you know we're losing money and Mm. basically you're you're saying that in essence what he said i mean i watched the the speech as well and basically Mm. he said if you can work from home work from home Mm. which is you know which is a, it is a lot of people, let's be honest. There are a yeah. lot of people that can telecommute. Like that's, mm-hmm. that is a reality of modern office working. But yeah. he also said if you can work, you, you should work, but only if it's safe. And it's like, who decides that? The employer? The employer decides yeah. that? What? And so who's they checking that? To, yeah, some, somebody has to tell you, don't they? Somebody has to <laughs> turn around, okay, oh, this, okay, this is safe and this isn't safe. For example, um, I went for a run a few days ago in a park near here um and there were multiple families just sat together having a picnic no distance between them and it it kind of makes me annoyed that there's there is nothing wrong with going and sitting in the park but the main thing is you just got to be away from people but how are they going to know that unless it's explicitly said to them yeah people are doing that because no one sat them down and said this is okay and this isn't okay yeah, that's right. You know, yeah, there what? has to be a list that people can look look at and for guidance. Otherwise, they just don't know and they do what they want. And also, also, what if you're you know what if you're someone whose English isn't great, or yeah. someone who's not that bright? Yeah, someone exactly. who has you know has learning difficulties or something like that. Do you, you know. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, 
you know, you've got to look after yourself, yada, yada, yada. But it is actually Mm -hmm. the job of the government to provide infrastructure and um, safety for the people. So that's why they're in charge of the police and the military because they're supposed to actually say, yes, you're allowed to do this. No, you're not allowed to do that. Exactly. And I see it like... I see it all the time going shopping. So if if I go to get groceries now, I'm always wearing a mask. I always have disposable plastic gloves on. And the amount of times I see people walking around the shops with the, you know, the mask down underneath their nose and they're using, they're on their phone with their gloves on, touching their face. And it's like, I I feel like this isn't their fault. (laughs) No one sat them down and said, okay, you should be wearing gloves and a mask to go to the shop it's advised that you do that and no one sat them down and said when you've got your gloves on you cannot touch your face you know it's there there are plenty of facebook videos of nurses saying don't touch your face when you've got gloves on but why is that not coming from the government why is that information not being handed to them on a plate by the people that are meant to be looking after them well why is that why is there not an ad every time something comes up saying the mask isn't actually for you it's 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 not for somebody else it's it's not for you it's to protect the other people so your protective gear is for other people. Yeah. My mask protects you. Your mask protects me. That's just a simple concept. Like yeah. if you put it that simply, even a, even a person who plays guitar and sings for a living can understand that. Yeah. Like, we're not all <laughs> exactly. that smart. But if someone says to me, <laughs> someone says to me, my mask protects you, your mask protects me. That's a very simple concept. It is very simple. And yeah. that but should there, be but There's nothing, there's not, I mean, I correct me, I'm not watching a lot of TV at the moment, but I'm not aware of any TV adverts coming up saying this is the correct way to do this, this is the we correct way to do have, that. We don't have TV. Yeah. So but it, we don't know, but I'm guessing there's probably not. <laughs> but also it shouldn't matter. Yeah. Like it shouldn't matter. If, yeah. You know, the government, the government knows, you know, where we're going. It can, you know, the government can ask companies to track our whereabouts. It should be able to yeah. make sure that every time we switch our phone on and switch the, the mm-hmm. to the point where you're so fatigued by the message that you do it automatically. That's the point yeah. of a public service announcement and yeah. none of that's being done. Yeah. I mean, just the whole, the whole point of the whole thing is just stay away from people, isn't it? Yeah. And I feel like, uh, I feel like people aren't, they're, they're being told to stay two meters away from someone when you go out, but they're not being told that they can't go out to do those things that they're that they've gone out to do you know someone could go out to shops three times in a day and that's supposedly fine um it there's just it's just such a massive gray area yeah about what is okay and what isn't and if you actually sit down and think about it you can figure it out for yourself what's safe to do and what isn't yeah but not everybody does that but the world the world is full of people that aren't that bright yeah well, <laughs> I hope I'm not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like today, I was looking at the news and there was trains that were rammed, like the tube was rammed yeah. because of the announcement yeah. made yesterday. So a whole bunch of people have gone back to work. The thing that concerns me is is now that they've had this announcement, there'll mm-hmm. be a lot. I mean, capitalism is a great tool for certain things, but it's not a great tool for employers spending money unnecessarily. So. If you work in a factory or you work in a in a place that's, you know, where you are going to be in contact with other people, who is mm-hmm. guaranteeing that that place can open for business? Is this have they have they inspected these buildings? Have they said you've got the proper PPE, you've got the proper social distancing, and all these factories and stuff that are now suddenly expected to open? Yeah, I like, mean, and then if and then if you say I'm not going to come and yeah. work there, are you going to get fired? Then how yeah. do you collect benefits? Exactly. It was like that whole thing at, at, at the very start of all of this where pubs were still open and they were saying, look, we, we can't financially close until you tell us we have to close. Yeah. You know, and that, they, that and it took them nearly late. two weeks to do that. Yeah. And that came too late and it, you know, costs a lot of people a lot of money. Um, yeah. Just, I, feel, I feel like it's gotten to the point now where there are a lot of big companies and a lot of smaller companies as well that are not being helped financially therefore the economy has to open up again and that is going to cost people their lives unfortunately and you know it's just it's a domino effect of lots of different things that needed to be sorted out and haven't been yeah so just so just on that front 
So we've been talking for nearly an hour now, so we should probably okay, probably <laughs> probably start to wrap it up. How how okay. does how, how do you think this will affect the venues in the long term? Are you hopeful for? Uh, yeah, a, a, I mean, I I was talking to a lot of friends about this as well. I I don't think live music is going to be a lot of venues' priority um, as they start to open up. I think a lot of venues have taken a massive financial hit from this if they haven't been forced to close down and i think as soon as they open up things like live music and things that aren't absolutely necessary to the running of the venue aren't going to be a viable option until everything's picked up again so yeah we don't know when that's going to be do we but um yeah i i think in terms of how it's affected venues i think it's been a pretty a horrendous situation all around yeah 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 well there's not much else you can say about that really is it you know a lot of no a lot but, of yeah venues. That, and that's it that, that, there's not much you can say about it it's literally yeah it's it's a bit rubbish like it's it's and we don't know how we're going to come back from it yeah so what's your what's your what's your hope like what's your what do you think mm. in your in your quiet moments when you look in the future and you think Maybe there'll be some good for this. What What's mm. your hope for the arts and the music scene um, as we come out of this and sort of down the road? Mm -hmm. what, what do you think might be a benefit? I think in terms of arts and music, I think people have started to value it a lot more as a profession and see it as a legitimate freelance job that someone will have it's not a hobby it's it, it's a job it's a pr profession and just because you very much enjoy it doesn't make it any less of a of, of a profession i think there might be a little bit of a, a juggling around of the of how self-employment works for musicians because i think it's it's kind of um hit a lot harder than anyone had anticipated in terms of help for the self-employed I, I just think the self-employed in general are going to have a bit of a reshuffling after this. I'm not exactly sure how. Um, yeah, I mean, it's all just very uncertain. I can't really say how I think it's going to affect a lot of things. I think it's been a massive wake-up call for the government in terms of how much Joe Public actually contributes to the economy. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm just, my hopes for the future would just be, I hope that things pick up again by autumn. I'd hope. Yeah. Yep. Um, but you know, if, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. Um, yeah. I mean, I just know personally, I'd really like to get back to work as soon as possible, as long as I don't give anyone a nasty virus. <laughs> yeah. Well, that is that thing too. It's like at the end of the day, you, you know, as, as someone who is a performer, mm. like the, the drive is still to perform and still to be out there yeah. doing what you do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think it's going to change anyone's um, enthusiasm to do that. I think it's just going to change the way that people organize their finances whilst doing that. As in more saving? More saving and maybe less expenses perhaps on a tax return. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's exactly right, isn't it? I mean, I've, I've talked yeah. about this in this po podcast at length, but like I know people that may, maybe you're one of those people that set themselves mm. up as a limited company and they're paying themselves a rebate yeah. and then yeah. basically the government's just gone, well, enough yeah, of you, it. like we're just going to hang yeah. you out to dry and it's... Yeah, I mean, uh, I, that's happened to my housemate actually. Um, it's happened to loads, yeah, loads of people that I know and there are a massive group of musicians that I know that just aren't covered by the self-employed help. Like the only reason that I'm not covered is because I've only been full time since August. Yeah. So I don't have the three years tax return. Now, what about the, the group of musicians that are one or two years out of uni and they've just got their foot kind of in the business and they're just making their money and they've only got two years of tax return to show for it. Yes, you know, but it's but, not enough. But Boris says you can go to the country on the weekend now, so yeah, so it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. You can, it's it'll be fine. The the poor, the pores yeah. will sort themselves out. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, there's there's just so many people that aren't that haven't been looked after, and I don't think that's going to be overlooked. 
in the long run. That's going to be something that's going to be revisited in one or two years' time and say, hey, what happened there? Because that was not okay. Do, do, you, do you think it will, though? My, my, this is my fear. My fear is yeah. that people will be so keen to get back to, quote-unquote, normal life that yeah. – you know, history is written by the winners. If Boris, mm. if Boris is still in power, like he's only just been elected, so yeah. he's still got two years, I think, or two and a half years yeah. in a term. So he won that last election in a landslide. Yeah. If you know that, my fear is we'll get to the next election if if his own party don't stab him in the back, mm-hmm. um, which is becoming increasing increasingly more likely, just from what I've been yeah. reading. But that's another thing. Will people actually, well, that's my fear. People won't actually do what you're saying. That makes me I don't mental. think people will be so easy to forget. I, I completely get what you're saying. People just want to get back to normal life. But I feel like any person that's been done over by this whole thing, by the government, they've not been financially supported. Their bank accounts are going to be a constant reminder for the next year, even two years, maybe even longer for some people that they weren't looked after. And I feel like that's going to cause a lot of anger with a, with a lot of people. I think you might be onto something there because I hadn't actually thought about it that way. That's a really good point. A lot mm. of the quote-unquote self-employed people, are, um, a lot of the people that may have been traditionally working class people that might have gone across to the Tories mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. they sort of were convinced on the lie that Jeremy Corbyn yeah. was going to turn us all into hippies living in a social, you know, living in a, yeah. living in camps, you know, like, a lot of yeah. those people are, are you know, like I, I'm someone who's self-employed, and mm-hmm. you know, people people say, oh, you know, that you know, you, you know, you just you know, having fun, and but I'm I'm like a pure capitalist. If if I don't mm-hmm. turn up and do the job, people don't book me. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the thing. Like, and it, there's no superannuation schemes for me. There's no unless I do them myself. Like, there's mm-hmm. nothing set up for me. So I'm I'm a pure capitalist, and yeah. there's a lot of people in you know, in situations that aren't musicians, that are, that are tradesmen, that are people that have their own, you know, their own businesses, that they are entrepreneurial yeah, people. They're making their own way. And I think you might be onto something there. Yeah, I just, I, I feel like, I know personally, financially, it's going to take me about two years to get back on track yeah. after this. Yeah. Um, in terms of the, the amount of gigs that I had booked in, I think that's not going to be the same until maybe summer next year. Um, I, yeah, I feel like you can't get back, if you can't get back to normal life for them, that amount of time, that is, that, that is your constant reminder that something went really wrong. I'd be very surprised if a lot of the music, there's, there are a few music unions that I can think of that will be pushing for inquiries into how we were looked after. And yeah, I think there are a lot of people that will be very angry about it. Yeah, well, actually, that, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about it that way. So, mm-hmm. um, so any final thoughts? Any things you want to sort of wrap up with? Any messages? No, not really. Just hope everyone's all right. <laughs> <laughs> hope you get loads of gigs. <laughs> that's a good message. So do I. Yeah, yeah. And I, can- I hope that at some point we get a um, uh, we get a better medium to do online gigs. That would be nice. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that's something. If if I was someone who had the technological know-how, I'd be working on that feverishly right now. So yeah, hopefully yeah. somebody is. Yeah, hopefully. Um, I, I did hear some rumblings that Facebook was going to allow you to do ticketed events and stuff like that. Yeah, I've been hearing things like that. I know a lot of people I know have been putting PayPal links on underneath their live videos. That's quite a good way to do things. I've been I've been um, doing that. Yeah, yeah, it's good. I I feel like a lot of people are are, are up for giving money to charitable causes, which I guess we are now. Um, well, I, but, mean, I, but, I mean, fundraising in general seems to be a massive thing right now for the NHS, for people that aren't being looked after. You know, everyone's trying to raise money for something at the moment. Well, there are. I mean, I have had messages from people saying, I'm employed and, in fact, I'm saving money at the moment because I can't go mm-hmm. out. I have no expenses. So yeah. I'm, hap- I'm happy to splash money on somebody that's actually providing a service for me. So yeah, exactly. for me, it's actually, you know, it, I only do one, I do one stream a week on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. That's because otherwise people get sick of you. But um, yeah. like I find that's quite, and people, people come back and they, they, they you, you know, they can be quite generous. Yeah. It is, yeah. It, is a, it is a way of some income. 
Yeah, I think maybe I need to jump on that. <laughs> well, possibly. I mean, you know, what it, you know, but also you don't want to do it. I know I didn't. I've only just really sort of jumped on it in the last sort yeah. of month. I haven't. I, mm-hmm. I found it really hard to do. Like just yeah. from a psychological point of view, I was really. I felt really sad when I when I first thought about it because I thought, well, this is not yeah. what I do. I'm a person who's a live performer. Like that's yeah. Well, it's a career change, isn't it? It's a complete yeah. change of your job role, and yeah. that is a, that kind of vibes out. You know, most people. <laughs> but it's needs must, you know, and and you can find mm. you can find the good in all things, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think I think um, the whole Facebook Live gigging thing. I, I think it's good. I, I, I mean. If this were happening 20 years ago, then that wouldn't be a thing. So I think we are quite lucky to have a lot of the technological advancements that we have now that allow us to do things like that, Instagram Live, Facebook Live. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, um, I think we should probably be a good place to finish it up. Where can people find yeah. more about uh, Grace Walker? Oh, probably Instagram, at Grace Walker Music. Um, yeah, I just post videos of things I like singing and pictures every now and then photos of cute dogs <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you, sometimes you, you can find all the content <laughs> sometimes you need a photo of a cute dog man yeah who doesn't love a cute dog <laughs> <laughs> all right mate well it's been lovely to talk to you yeah you too and so go check out uh, grace walker music on instagram and uh hopefully i'll see you at a gig soon yeah that'll be really nice hopefully fingers crossed fingers crossed stay well <laughs> all right mate talk soon talk soon If you've enjoyed the podcast, feel free to head over to the PayPal link attached to the description in the show notes and throw us a couple of pounds. You can also head over to my website, www.beneatonmusic.com and check out all the stuff that I do. I'd love for you to leave a comment or get back to me on Facebook, Instagram or YouTube, all under the name Ben Eaton Music. Have a great one. We'll see you next time.